Thanks for checking out our Legacy Church podcast. We know you'll be blessed and encouraged. Now here's today's message. Well, Pastor Ron is not here. My name is Jared, and uh, I believe I have a word that God wants shared with his body today. So if you want to shout me down while I'm, while I'm delivering it, that might help. And uh, if something applies to you, shout that out too, because God is good. So we're in the sermon series, the series titled uh, The Best Way to Live Life. Last week, Pastor Ron taught us about the family way, how to stay within the family because there's protection there. We learned about the family way. Today, I'd like to talk about the promised way, the promised way. And I want to give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you would turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians. We're going to start here in chapter 4, verse 21. Now, before we begin, let me tell you, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to the church. In, in the New Testament, he's talking to the church, and he's telling them this story about Abraham because they've allowed some false teachers to come in, and they started believing that they needed to follow the, the old covenant again. They thought that they had to put some rules on themselves because they thought that they needed to earn their way into heaven. They thought that they could earn their way into heaven which we know you can't do. There is no way to earn it. Um, so Paul had to tell him. He had to shake him up. And he said this. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by a free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Now, these, these two women represent something. The, the slave woman represents the old covenant. When we step out into our flesh, when we think that we need to do something to help God move along, when we think that we even have the power to do that, when we think more of ourselves than we think of God's word. The second one is the woman who was free, right? Um, the free woman represents the new covenant, the free gift of grace, our faith in Jesus Christ. These are the children of promise. These are the children that will receive the inheritance that cannot be revoked. It cannot be removed. The children of promise. So God, let me give you the background about Abraham now too, right? God first appeared to Abraham when he was 75 years old. And he promised him, you and your wife, Sarah, you're going to be the father and the mother of many nations. You will conceive a child. Now, 10 years went by before they, they had anything. 10 years, nothing was happening. 10 years is a pretty long time to wait. Have you guys ever waited 10 years for something to happen? Have you ever waited five years for something to happen? Like, once you start getting, like, the one year, I'm like, God, I got things to do. Are you going to do this or not? Like, but it's a test of our faith. It's a preparation for something that's coming. So, 10 years passed, nothing. And Sarah has this idea. She says, you know, I've got this slave girl named Hagar. We, she's an Egyptian. We picked her up over the past 10 years, but now she's part of our clan. Why don't you have a baby with her? And then God's word will be, will be proven. And Abraham said, Abraham said, yeah, sure. I said, yeah, sure. I'll do that. Now, I don't think that it was a lack of faith that caused Sarah to think this way. 
Because the Bible tells us that she was a devoted wife. She was submitted to her husband. She was a faithful woman of God. So I don't think it was a lack of faith. Maybe she had a little faith in that moment and not a lot. But I think more so, she stepped out in her flesh to try and help make something happen that God had promised. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need us. We can't do things that God can do. That's his job. Ours is to be faithful. Sometimes it's to sit and wait. So 10 years goes by, they get a little restless, and he has a child with a slave named Hagar. And that, that first son was named Ishmael. Now, you know, as a custom, the firstborn son gets all the rights, gets all the inheritance, gets everything passed down in the will, gets all the property, all the possessions. There are things that go to the firstborn son. However, let me keep reading. Um, So 10 years goes by, he's 86 years old, he has Ishmael. Now, um, they were acting on their own desires. They were acting on their own desires, thinking that they could do something God couldn't do. But God had a plan and God had a promise, and his promises do not return void. His word does not return void. His promise will come true in spite of our best efforts, if we wait. So, 86 years old, finally he had to wait 14 more years until Sarah had a child. He waited 24 years total for God's promise to be fulfilled in his life. Could you make it that long? Could you make it 24 years? And now he he had his firstborn son, and then 14 years later he had a secondborn son named Isaac. But Ishmael was the firstborn. However... Ishmael didn't get the inheritance. Ishmael didn't get the rights of the firstborn because he wasn't part of the promised children. Isaac was. Isaac was one of the promised children. So Isaac got the blessing. Isaac's family and all the generations to come received that blessing. Now you need to understand that when God gives you a promise, you can count on it. You can count on it for one day. You can count on it for 10 years. You can count on it for 30 years. His word won't return void. And that's when we learn to live our best life. When we're walking in his promise. When we're being faithful to him in his promise. When we're walking with the Holy Spirit. And when we're in obedience. And we live our lives surrendered to him. That's when we can walk in the promised way. Because we're obedient to him. We create promises in our lives, right? Um, We create problems in our lives. We create problems when we put ourselves above God, when we think maybe he's not working in time, he's not moving fast enough, he's not moving me in the right direction, I wanted a job over here and he's getting me a job over here, you know, I was looking for this and he delivered that. We create our own problems, we are the source of it, and it's that nasty thing called flesh. That nasty thing called flesh keeps getting in my way, keeps getting in the way of my walk. And the Apostle Paul had it right when he said he needed to whip his flesh into submission because the flesh direction is going in a different way than our spirit direction. And God is wanting to connect with us. God is wanting to pull us in the spirit direction. He's giving us opportunities to put our flesh aside, to put our feelings aside. Now, when we step into sin is when we appease our flesh. When we try to intervene and interject ourselves into God's plan, God's got a plan and it's going to happen. 
Now, there was a season in my life, um, I was so desperate to get a new job. I, w- I was really unhappy at my job, and I called my, my father-in-law, and he worked with, he was a contractor, he worked with natural gas and mineral rights out in the Midwest. And uh, I called him, and I begged him, I said, please, you know, I'm trying to raise your, I pulled the thing, I'm trying to raise your daughter here, like, and I hate my job, could you help me get a new job with you? And he said, I'll see what I can do. He called me back a couple weeks later. He said, not only can I get you a job, I can get Natalie on staff too. I can get you both jobs. Now, what's important here is one job was double my income at the time. He was going to get us two jobs. He was going to quadruple our household income. So what did I do? Well, I did what, I did what anyone would do. I called Pastor Ron and said, I'm leaving the church. I'm moving to Oklahoma. I got a job offer with four times what I make now. And I had this conversation with Pastor Ron, and he, he explained this to me. He explained this principle to me. He said, Jared, you came into the church with your marriage on the back end of a tow truck. You were completely broken. We weren't even living together. We were, it was done for. And God restored our marriage. And he says, he brought you here, and he planted you in this church, and he restored your marriage. And you're going to walk out on that just for four times your salary? He put things in a perspective for me. So this also happened to be during our two weeks of prayer and fasting. And I prayed every night at the church. And I prayed hard and I got my friends together and I said, this is what I'm praying for. Would you pray with me? I need God to give me an answer. Because I didn't like the one Pastor Ron gave me. But I needed God to give me an answer. And sure enough, he did. He confirmed every word that Pastor Ron had said. And to this day, I live by this rule. I will never leave my church to take another job. I would have to be moved by God into a new church, and then I'll find a job around there. But I'll never leave my church just for the sake of another job. Now, here's why this is important. I turned down that job, and it was so hard for me because I begged to get it. And I'm pretty sure, uh, God rest his soul, I'm pretty sure he was upset with me for at least about six months. And I know it was six months because six months later, their contract got terminated. They got laid off and they stayed laid off for about two years. The whole crew got laid off for about two years. This was God's protection over my life. Because if I had moved there with my family, we would have become homeless. God has protection for you when you walk in the promised way. Now, not only that, God's got a cherry to throw on top. I stayed faithful to my job, even though I didn't like it. I stayed faithful. And God had promoted me five times in five years. And I don't just mean like every year you get an increase in pay. I mean different promoted titles. Like God not only protected me, he gave me the little, that a boy, Jared. I'm proud of you. He gave me like a little bonus too. That's how good God is. That's the God that we serve. But I learned that I couldn't interject myself into God's will. God had a plan, and I needed to first understand what the plan was in my life. And thank God we have a pastor who explained it to me. And once I saw that will and God confirmed it, I knew that there was a purpose, and I couldn't leave, no matter how much money the world would dangle in front of me. Now, you need to know something. The devil hates that you have rights. You have rights. As children of God, as children of promise, you have rights. 
The devil hates when you know them. He hates when, especially when you exercise your rights. He loves it when you think that you can do God better than God can. He loves it when you try to get involved and you make a big mess of things. The devil loves it when you grow impatient. When you get tired of waiting on God and you start to question God, the devil loves every minute of this, so be careful. He loves it when you step outside of God's covering over your life. And the covering is the, the church. And the moment you say, oh, I'm offended with how this person shook my hand in the morning, or I'm offended uh, with this or offended with that, and you step outside the church, you step outside of God's covering. And the devil loves it because then you become vulnerable. Then you're no longer part of the safety of the group and the covering of God's blessing. So you need to know what your rights are. What are your rights as children of God? Sometimes your rights are going to be taken away. You walk outside these walls and you see people willingly giving their rights away. The world is going to tell you you have no rights. The world is going to come against the church and try and take your rights away. Haven't we seen it for the past two and a half years? You can't even meet together as a church in some places. Thank God it's ending. People have, have risen up. This is ending. But the world is going to try to take your rights away. Don't forget what your rights are. And, and by rights, I'm going to tell you God's promises in your life. Because the world is going to tell you, oh, you're not good enough. You're not this. You can't do that. But let me tell you what God promised to do for you. He promised to fight for you. He promised to never leave you or forsake you. He promised to make you the head and not the tail. Like there's a lot of promises in here. I can keep going, but these are promises for you. These are your rights. As soon as you walk out the walls of this church, as soon as you walk out the door, you need to know what your rights are. We serve a God who gives strength to the weak. He gives strength to the weary. He gives hope to the hopeless. And he gives you salvation and deliverance if you want it. These are your rights as Christians, as children of promise. So I want to show you what it looks like when you live the promised life, the promised way. In Psalm 36, it says this. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. And in your light, we see light. This is a picture of what happens when you're walking with the Lord. When you're walking with God, when you're walking in the promised way, he holds out his wing and you can get shade. You can get shade from the sun, shade from the heat. You can get a drink of life from the ultimate source of life. He takes care of every need that you have. You will walk in abundance. This is the perfect picture of what it looks like to walk in the promised way. Psalm 37 says this, the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. What an assurance we have knowing that when we walk with him, even though the cupboards might look bare, we will not go hungry. He will not forsake his people. And if I haven't said it enough, his word will not return void. 
His promises remain true. So, I want to give you uh, a couple keys for living in the promised way. Living in the promised way. Number one, obey God's word and know what's in it. Your Bible is not meant to be a uh, conversation starter on your coffee table at home in your living room. If that's the only purpose of your Bible and you never open it and read it, you're not doing it right. It's not meant just to wear as a, as a necklace with a cross on it to make people believe that you're a Christian when you're not actually in relationship with him and living it. You have to know what's in it because he gave you the blueprint for how to navigate this life. But if you don't open the blueprints, you're not going to know where the things go. You're not going to know how to build that building without opening the blueprints. He wants to know you. Did, did you know this, that he knows the number of hairs on your head? The Bible says that he knew you before he created you in your, in your mother's womb. He knows every detail about you. He knows what your heart is saying, even if your mouth is saying something different. He knows you. How much do you know him? You open your Bible to find out because his character is revealed to you through generations and thousands of years, how he treated our ancestors, how he treated those that came before us. His character is revealed. This is how you learn who God is because he already knows who you are. So we have a job now. You have to open it up. You have to read it because the single most important thing is to know him, have a relationship with him. And then demonstrate his love to the world. So number two, the second key. You got to know your role. You got to know, and I like to say it with a little oomph, know your role. You got to know your role. It's not about you anymore. It's not about you anymore. It's not about your works. It's not about your deeds. It's not about your good intention. It's not about your goodwill. It's about his will. You need to shift your eyes from five feet off the ground to focus to him in heaven who sits on a throne, who's got promises for you. You need to shift your focus from here to what really matters because here isn't going to survive in 60 years, 100 years, however long you have to live. This is what matters. Eternity is what matters. That's where we need to look. Matthew 6.33, one of the most popular verses of the Bible says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. We need to know our role because we're not first. God has to be first. I'm not even second as the main character in my life story, but God's got to be first. God's got to be first. We need to know where our role is. We have to be humble. We have to understand That his ways are higher than our ways. His time is different than our time. The Bible even says that that one day with us is like a thousand years with him. The Bible tells us that time is different. God's got his own timing. God's got his own will. And we can't be living in our flesh, looking at our watch, waiting on God. He's going to work when he's ready. He's going to work when his will and his timing is perfect. I want to give you another story. This is a story that happened to Joshua. Um, From the book of Joshua, I'll read it here. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him 
with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and he asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. And he asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, I'm just going to say this word. He said, Neither. He said, Neither. When he said, Are you for me or are you for my enemies? Neither. Because you're both wrong. Neither one of you are living the way. I'm God and I can't get behind that. He said, Neither. And I'm like, ouch. Like this hit me when I was reading it. Because I could see myself thinking that I'm right. Living this way, trying to show other people. And I can see that I'm, I've got justifications for why I'm doing what I'm doing. No, I can't go to church on Sundays because that's my time I go out with, with my guys. That's the time we do this. That's the time we do that. I was trying to justify my life instead of bringing myself back into alignment with God's will. He said, neither. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, I was having fun reading that scripture this week. You can live your life thinking that you're right. And if nobody tells you otherwise, you're going to make it to your judgment day thinking that you're right. But Jesus had said, many who call to me, Lord, Lord, are not going to be allowed into the kingdom of heaven because he didn't know them. Because he didn't know them. He didn't have a relationship with them. That's what he wants for each one of us is to have their relationship with us. And you can't justify your position apart from him. We need to know our role and submit and put ourselves back into alignment with his will. So number three, the third key. You need to learn to listen. You need to get the Q-tips and you need to dig in and you need to learn to listen. You need to sit still. You need to wait on God. You need to tame your flesh. Because your flesh gets anxious. Your flesh wants it and it wants it now. And we need to say, flesh, you got to wait. There's a promise that's coming. And I don't need you getting in the way of it and messing with it. I've got a promise coming. In Psalms, David says this, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. My first thought was, He tells me to wait on the Lord and to be of good courage. Why does he use having courage and waiting in the same sentence? What does he know that I don't know? Well, he knows that it's going to take courage to put your flesh behind you. To tell your flesh to get in the back seat because I'm in charge now. The Spirit's in charge now. He knows that it's going to take courage to tell your friends you can't go out on Friday night because now you're in church and now you're going to a crew. Now you want to build your relationship with Jesus. He knows that it's going to take courage to do these things. It takes courage to stand fast. Because anybody with flesh can say, oh, I need to move, I need to go do it. But when you truly submit to God's will, it takes courage to say, okay, God, I'll pass up on the, on the quadruple salary. What have you got? I, I trust you completely. I'll go where you go. I'll go where you go. It doesn't matter where we're going. I'm with you. We need to allow God to build us, to shape us, 
to shave some things off of us because the waiting is a season of preparation. You need to change how you look at this, that it's not, oh, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting it soon enough. Change your perspective that this is a season where God is working on you and he needs to break something off of you so that you can be ready for the next season. You got to go through this struggle to be successful and get to the next blessing, the next promise. In Deuteronomy 8.16, it says this, in order to give you a taste of the hard life, to test you so that you would be prepared to live well in the days ahead of you. This is a time of testing and a time of preparation so that you can move on to the next chapter. So next time you're stuck in your waiting, you could sit here and pray to God, this situation is so bad, and I found myself here before. God, this situation is so bad, would you take me out of it right now? And God is so good, he could do that. He could say, poof, I took you out of the situation, you're good now. But where is the glory in that? Where is the learning in that? He allows us to go through these things so that we can be tested, so that we can learn what we're made of so that we can learn to rely on him and trust in him, so that we can learn his timing. You know, speaking of God's timing, Natalie and I were married for 10 years before we had our first child. And this is uh, an interesting story, part of our testimony. We came into the church, we'd been married for five years, uh, and it was broken. It wasn't functional, it was dysfunctional, it was a mess. Thank God there was no children during that time because I, I wouldn't have raised them in the house. But God restored our marriage. And I thought that this was going to be all right. We're going to have kids like crazy. We're going to be like the Baldwins. We're going to have so many kids in here. But we had to wait another five years. You know, she had some complications and the doctors told her that she might not ever have kids. All right, all right. So I went to the doctor, and the doctors told me I was probably never going to conceive a child. Okay, that news hits you hard. What do you do? Well, I took a day and locked myself in the bedroom and was so upset over it because I didn't know what else to do. But thank God we got pastors that reach out. We got friends that reach out and showed me what I was missing. How are you going to react in the waiting? How are you going to react when you don't get your way? Are you going to be a kid and stomp your feet? Say, no, I want it now. You're going to say, God, I'm learning to trust you. Use this. Use this to teach me. Use this to show me. Use this to prepare me for what's ahead. And I changed my perspective. Maybe there was something I needed to get through first. Maybe something I needed to overcome first before he would trust me with a child. You know, a number of things went through my head. But finally... We had our marriage restored five years later. In spite of what the doctor said, we had our first child. Amen. Amen. God is so good. Um, we, we didn't just end up there, though. We, did, you know, we believed what the doctor said at first. We're not going to be able to have kids. Well, maybe we should foster. Maybe we should adopt. So we got registered and licensed as foster parents, and we took a... A young, a young man in and we did the best we could to love him and bring him to the church and raise him in the house and uh, after about two years uh, our paths went different directions and, and we said goodbye to our foster son after two years 
And two weeks later, we found out we were pregnant when we weren't supposed to be able to be pregnant. But it's just in timing. It's in God's timing, not ours. I believe that he waited for us to get through a trial first. So there is joy in the waiting. If you look for it, there's joy. Because you know God's working on you. That means he's not done with you. So next time you find yourself waiting, take joy in the waiting because God is still working on you. Can I invite the music ministry to come up and, and help me? Now, I'm going to end with this. What are the children of the promise? What are the children of the promise that Paul talked about in Galatians when he was talking about the children of the slave woman and the children of the free woman. He was talking about Ishmael, and he was talking about Isaac. The children of the promise. Children of the promise, as described in Romans 9, 6. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Paul explains it is not just by your family tree that makes you a child of promise. It's based on obeying God's word. Those who walk by faith in Jesus are these children of promise. Not everyone who is Israel is Israel. Not all will make it to that day and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Some people are going to hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. And I pray that that's not me. I pray that that's not you. I pray that we are open to him that we are seeking him while he still can be found. In Galatians chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to his promise. We are part of that promise. We are part of that promised way. Now I want to tell you, there are many ways that you could live life. The Bible describes as the two roads, the wide road that many are on and the narrow road that few get on. And, and I think that they're close enough to each other that you can still see all your old friends on that wide road. And they're trying to convince you to come over. And they're saying, that's not for you. That's not for you. Come on back over. There are many ways to live life. Maybe you picked the wrong road and, and you need to find a way to get back, find a way to realign yourself, to correct the mistake. Maybe you're standing at the fork in the road not knowing which way to go. Pray that God is going to make it clear to you which way you should go. But God definitely gives us free will to choose. He will let you choose and he will let you face the consequences of your decisions. Ask yourself, what is it that he promised you? What is it that you're waiting for? Not all of the paths will lead to the same place. I want to invite everybody to stand with me if you would. Not all of these paths lead the same place.
there is one path that leads to a place where we will see our Father in heaven and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your mansion. But that's the narrow path. If you walked out of the doors today and you died today, do you know that you would spend eternity in heaven? Not do you think, not do you hope, not would you wager, but do you know 100% for a fact that you would spend eternity in heaven? Because tomorrow is not one of the promises. Tomorrow is a trick of the enemy to make you think that you have more time than you really do. Today is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice, we will be glad in it. And today is the day that I will choose which path I will take. If you don't know where you're gonna spend eternity, I would invite you to say this prayer with me. This is the salvation prayer. And it's just a repeat after me prayer. But if this is you, if I'm gonna say this with you, would you raise your hand? Make yourself known to God. Let's say this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I love you, Lord. I'm searching for you. I know that you died for me. I know that you've risen from the grave. I know that your Holy Spirit lives with me. Please help me, Lord, to turn away from my past, to turn away from sin, and come running into your arms. I can't wait for the day to be seated with you in my Father's arms. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with family and friends. It helps so much. For more content with Legacy and to connect with us, go to LegacyChurchRI.com. The best is yet to come.